You're listening to the Anchor Faith Church Message Podcast. Enjoy the message. Well, you ready to get into the Word today? Yeah. All right, we're talking about the B-side. They collected my 45 in second service, and um, they said they put it in my office, but I wasn't able to locate it, so I'll have to find out uh, of the team who put it in there where they actually put it so I can pull it out for next um, next service. Uh, but in Acts chapter 20, verse 25 up to 30, uh, this is our kind of context of why we're talking about the B-side. Paul said this, and I'll probably just stop here at the end of, um, you know, 27. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching, what? The kingdom. That's so important. Paul went about preaching the kingdom. Salvation is a part of the kingdom, but the kingdom is more than just one subject. Okay? And it says, you know how I went about among you uh, preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Now, that's a pretty powerful statement, too, which implies that he could be guilty of men's blood. Well, what would cause guilt to show up in the Apostle Paul's life concerning men, that he would be guilty of their blood? Well, it's if he didn't do verse 27. Verse 27 says that I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. So, in essence, Paul said, listen, I gave you exactly what the Holy Ghost told me to tell you. I expounded his truths and gave you revelation so that you could be successful in this life with God's kingdom. I didn't give you just one thing, nor did I cloud it, nor did I try to preach something for own personal gain. I preached it very specifically so that you could thrive in the purpose God had for your life. And I gave you everything you needed in order to be successful and to overcome the evil one. Amen? So it's very important for a ministry or the church of Jesus Christ that the fivefold ministry places themselves in a position when they're teaching the Word of God that they don't withhold the full counsel of God. Amen? Because if the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which today is the day of Pentecost, today's Pentecost Sunday. Amen? And on Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Ghost fell. I said the Holy Ghost fell. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost fell. Power came to the planet. The Holy Ghost came and came upon those that were already, had already accepted Christ, came upon them, and they got filled with the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in tongues. Not only did they speak in unknown tongues, but they actually began to speak in languages as well, known tongues, that when they began to proclaim that people started to hear their own languages who had come and gathered for um, the Pentecost celebration, right? And so um, Peter preaches on that day. Amen. And so, you know, we could preach that message, which we will. I want us to look at that one as we launch over into the B-side today. Um, but, you know, we've been dealing with the B-side because there's so much one-sided preaching right now. You know, and it's not... This is not, really, this is a negative word in a lot of places when you use the word balance, right? Uh, but we are to maintain balance, which means we are to see that grace is multifaceted. It has many sides, okay? And you understand the God has, uh, is, a, is a balanced God. What, what does I mean by that? Love has an expression in every aspect of life, and we talked a little bit about love last week, but we also talked about what he hated. In fact, I'll touch on one just today, just in passing, that, again, New Testament scripture of where God said, I hate this. So love hates things. 
So hate, um, when you say, well, and if you have the love of God, how could you hate? Easy. Now, that's not politically correct right now. Nor, if you don't understand that, then you would think, oh, okay, you, you hate people. I don't hate people. But I hate what God hates. And if people are doing what God hates, then I hate the actions of those people. And the reality is God will give them an opportunity to change. Change. But if they don't change, he hates it. Then you say, how could you serve a God who hates? How could you not serve a loving God that is very clear of what he loves, which means then he must hate something if it's opposite of it? You can't love and love everything. What do I mean by that? You can't love life, but yet love murdering. You can't do that. That means you must hate that then. All right, are you with me? Okay. So, you know, God hates things that are opposite of him. We saw that last week. So today we're going to talk about the A side. This is a great, powerful side. We preach this often. And again, the A side is a truth. Don't get me wrong. I'm not diminishing the A side as we move forward. You know, I have to mention it just so you'll understand what the B side of the A side is. You know, and I touch on it, but I don't go exhaustive because again, there's plenty of preaching that's very positive on these particular subjects. There's nothing wrong with them uh, unless they don't give you the B side, unless they don't tell you that they go this far or this is how you are able to walk in the A side. All right? So the A side we hear a lot of is out of Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. I'll have, again, let everything be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So I have four for the A side. All right? That's why it's taken us a little time to go through these scriptures uh, and to get through uh, these sermons each Sunday. It's just because, you know, we got to spend a small amount of time to communicate this A side. Acts chapter 13, verse 38 to 39 says, Therefore, let it be known, brethren, so we're talking to the church, that through this man, we're talking about Jesus, is preached to you the what? Forgiveness of sin. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So what is this message, the A-side preaching, is Jesus has forgiven you. Amen! Jesus has forgiven you of your sins. Forgiveness is a powerful thing to preach about in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God offers forgiveness. Isn't that good news? He offers forgiveness. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says, According to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with the blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no Forgiveness. Now, I use these two passages of Scripture because, again, A-side preaching of forgiveness is they'll let you know that you can't do anything to, to earn God's forgiveness. Right? You can't do anything of your own merit to earn God's approval. You can do nothing on your own that God would say, you're accepted. Right? And that's true. You can't do it. No man is good. No, not one. It requires that you receive his forgiveness. And forgiveness is made because he died, he shed his blood, he took his blood that was without spot or wrinkle and carried it all the way, not to a mercy seat in the earth, but to the mercy seat that's in heaven. 
The old covenant lets us know of the tabernacle and the temple that was uh, built. It was a model of one that existed in heaven. That's why they said, you build it according to my design. And they were to put the blood on the mercy seat. Amen? There was a shedding of blood that made atonement. Well, Jesus did something bigger in this Hebrews chapter 9, if you read the whole chapter, is that it's not the sacrifice of, and the blood of, of bulls and goats anymore. It is the precious blood of Jesus. Amen? It says that we have been purchased, not with silver and gold, that which passes away with that mere, you know, um, metal, but we are purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. Isn't that good news? Amen. So that Jesus shed his blood so that the forgiveness of sin, and when he, when he forgave sin, he did it what? Once and for all. That means when his blood was applied to the mercy seat in heaven, the sin Adam did at the beginning, he made, he, uh, made forgiveness for that all the way through to the last sin that will ever be commit, committed by um, a man or a woman in a skin suit. Amen. Amen? Once and for all. Now, why is that important? Because all who died prior to Jesus, poor, dying on the cross and, and putting his blood on the mercy seat, right, they still had the opportunity to be righteous, to believe on Jesus, but yet they could not be out of the grave. That's why Jesus lets us know that there's two places in the grave. There was a place of torment, but then there was another place called paradise or Abraham's bosom, right? Remember, Jesus told the, um, uh, one of the thieves, he said, today you'll be with me in, in paradise. Because you have believed on me that I am the son of God, you will be saved. Though you and I both are going to go to the grave. Now, I shouldn't be because I'm blameless. I've not sinned. I'm freely giving up my life. I'm laying my life down for you. But because I do that, I'll be able to take all that are in paradise with me when I go. Hallelujah. Why? Because the blood's going to be applied so that their, their belief in me, all who died in the old covenant, but those who believed on me that I would come, I will be able to resurrect them take them out of paradise because the blood's coming to purchase their redemption. But now, for us who die in this new dispensation or this new covenant or this better covenant we're in, when we die, we're absent from our body. We don't go to paradise or the grave. We are caught up and we're with the Lord. Paul said, he said, to die is far better, right? To be out of the body, uh, you'll be present with the Lord. Amen? And we'll be present with him. Why? Because we've been purchased. So again, he applied his blood once and for all. So forgiveness has been made available for all humanity, for all those who had done it prior to that event, and for any that will do a sin unto the Lord in the millennial reign. The blood has already paved the way. And that's good news. Isn't that good news? 
Yes, forgiveness has come. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this, in him, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Okay, and that word grace there means unmerited favor. That's one side of grace, not every side of grace. And so there is this aspect of God's grace that when we deserved to be penalized, to be held guilty for our rebellion against the kingdom of God and the crown of God and the throne of God, and we could rightly be sentenced for eternity away from him because of our sin deeds, our transgression, our disobedience, our rebellion, Christ said, I'll pay for it. Amen. And so forgiveness showed up. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, in whom we have redemption. What is it? The forgiveness of sins. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that's the A side. And the A side preaches this way. In a context, what are we saying? We're saying that God has forgiven us. So A side preaching says God's forgiven you. He's not mad at you, right? And again, um, that can be a little misleading um, because God can be upset, even in the new covenant. So it's a little misleading when we leave that kind of blanket statement. But when we do say God's forgiven you, which means he's made a way, he's not upset to the point that he wants to judge you, he has made a way for you. So no matter what you're doing, and what you're in right now, God will forgive you. That's good news. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad God forgives? Now, the problem is, is when we don't preach the B side, then all of a sudden, if we don't watch out, we start making statements. All right? That get out of alignment. What did Jesus say? When you pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be Right? On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? So again, if Jesus forgives, then should we? We should forgive. Absolutely. There's no problem with that. In fact, Peter says, he goes, listen, if my brother sins seven times, should I forgive? And he says, I don't say seven times. I say 70 times seven. Right? Amen. So Jesus is saying, 490 times a day, you should forgive your brother. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, forgiveness is something that God does, so we do. And in fact, if you look over in Mark, Mark says, uh, verse uh, chapter 11, remember 22, 23, 24, about having faith in God, that well, if you say it in the mountain, be removed, and, and do not down your heart, uh, that it will be cast into the sea, and you'll have whatever you say, Right? Therefore, uh, whatsoever you pray, when you, uh, whatsoever you believe, when you pray, you'll have that which you say. But then verse 25 says, but if you have uh, issue with your brother or unforgiveness, then the Lord won't forgive you. So forgiveness is a big deal because God's saying, if anybody has a right to retain, I do. But the question is, is there retainment? Okay, so... We have to then really look at the full counsel of God. So again, Jesus on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know what, what they do. Just because Jesus asked the Father to do something doesn't mean the Father has done it. That's 
Okay. Stephen himself, when he was stoned, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But just, I, if we had the power to invoke God to forgive people because we requested it, well, then everybody could be saved. So what happens if we don't preach the B-side, then all of a sudden we'll create another doctrine that has been preached. And it resurfaces every few hundred years. You want me to tell you what its theological name is? It's called the doctrine of inclusion. The doctrine of inclusion means this. Christ has died once and for all. He has shed his blood. He has forgiven all humanity. Now that's true. And because of that, no one will die. That's the doc. You don't even have to confess him. He's already made. So in essence, that doctrine says there is no hell now. Yet the Bible is very clear there is one. And that there is a lake of fire, a second death, that not just the devil, the false prophet or the beast, right? Fallen angels are going, but people. Humans will go. So if the doctrine of inclusion was true, that he's already forgiven everybody, and at that point, because he's done it, we're all getting in, well, then why did he write about a lake of fire in Revelation? I'm talking New Testament. I, you might be able to try to get away with some Old Testament stuff, like, you know, again, hell's opening its mouth wide and, and all those particular places, you know. But again, the Bible talks in the end, after the millennial reign, that the grave will give up the dead. And that is humans. The spirit of, uh, of man that was in a human suit. And they will be judged before the great white throne judgment. Yet... Their sins had been forgiven because of the blood. How come God's now holding it? Hallelujah. This is very important. Because again, if we don't watch out, we'll A-side preach. And what we'll do is like, God's forgiven you. The blood's there. God's not mad at you. Come on in. Okay, God has forgiven you. The blood has been applied. God is storing up wrath for those of disobedience. You don't have to stay there. So if you do what the Bible says you can do in order to receive forgiveness, just because Christ has forgiven everyone doesn't mean everyone's received it. And that's what's not being preached is how to receive forgiveness. The finished work of Jesus is the finished work of Jesus. But you must receive it. Because you can reject it. And if you reject how to receive forgiveness, then you do not get the benefits of forgiveness. For when you receive forgiveness, your name is pinned into a book called the Lamb's book of life and when that name is there all of a sudden a new page starts for you a new one that isn't listen the lamb's book of life is not just a list of names 
it's not just a list of names. We're like, you know, it's like a uh, ancestry.com, and we're like just reading names, and we go alphabetically speaking, right? No, it's it's your name, and and the minute your name's in it, there's note pages. There's note pages. What's that mean? God then begins to, by the Spirit, write everything you do now that you're a child of God. And he weighs that, whether you did it in your flesh or whether you did that according to being led by the Spirit. Because when you, child of God, stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be judged on what you did now that you are in his kingdom as a child of God. Did you live it according to the flesh? Because if you did, he'll say, okay, man, everybody loved this action, but I didn't ask you to do that. You did that so people would recognize you, and they all gave you an applause and gave you an award. Remember that award you got? Remember they put you in front of that banquet? Remember all that stuff? Yeah, you got that, but I actually didn't ask you to do that. That really wasn't my will for you in that action, so you got your reward. There's none for you here. That burns up. Now, that doesn't mean he says, you know what, I asked you to do that. People recognize it. Remember when they took you that bank when you got that reward? That was pretty awesome. But look at the reward you get with me now because you did what I asked you to do. Amen. Remember this action you did? Yeah, nobody even knew you did it. Didn't get an award from man. Nobody saw it. But I'm giving you this. See, when your name gets in the Lamb's Book of Life, all of a sudden, all you did in the flesh... In your, in your skin suit, when I say that, God's writing it down. And then when he opens up that book, he'll say, yep, your name's there. Okay, now let's talk about all that you did. You say, wait a minute, that's works. It's a work of faith. It wasn't what got you into the kingdom. It's what you did while you were in the kingdom. Because, no, you know what's so awesome about our king? Aren't, ah, shut that up. Aren't you glad? Parents, seriously, do you not want to reward your kids? Just be glad I gave birth to you. Now, we say this sometimes. Who do you think pays the mortgage? Who do you think feeds you? Who do you think, you know, has the air on? Who do you think's got the water? I understand. And you know what? That's part of birthright. And they ought to be satisfied with that. But you don't stop there. You want to get them a present when they do some good behavior based upon your words. My gosh, man. You did, man, you know, I'm going to reward. You want to laugh. And you're just a human. How much more if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts? Well, our heavenly Father. My gosh, man. When you got into the kingdom, he put you in the Lamb's Book of Life. He's like, I can't wait to openly reward my kids who obed- obediently follow me in the earth following my spirit. Again, we are only living in our mental mind according to this world. There is a whole eternity of things to do and our obedience to God as a child of God now will carry over. Yes, it is true in a physical sense that nobody takes their U-Hauls to the grave site because they can't take naturally what's with them. But your works can go with you into the spirit realm, into each You can take it with you. Because it's your work of faith. What do you want me to do, Dad? You want me to give what? I'll do it, Dad. How could I not do what you asked me to do? You gave me your life. You gave me your blood. That's called faith. Hearing what God says, acting on what God says, doing it in his strength and power, 
whether it's being good to humanity in one instance or whether it's uh, operating in some gift or authority that the believer has, it's still in obedience to God. And he says, yep, Pastor Earl laid hands on the sick that day according to obedience and 15 people received power from me, not him, but it came through him through the laying on of hands and they received the reward. He saw and, and, and acknowledged uh, and recognized the joy of seeing them healed, but I got a reward for that obedience. I mean, you got to read your Bible. I mean, I feel like I'm saying stuff that people are right now are thinking, what? Because again, what have you heard? You've only heard an A-side, that if you ask Jesus to come into your heart and save you, he'll forgive you of your sin, and when you die, you go to heaven, and you don't even know how to live here. And that's not what God intended. God's like, look, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll empower you to live for me down on the earth to show my glory, to be my light. Amen. So, with that being said, there is a way to receive forgiveness. Forgiveness is something Jesus did, period. But there's a way to access it. And you must access it the way God says to access it. If you don't access it the way he says to access it, then you don't have it, even though it's there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Again, if I had a bank account that I put your name on it, and I put a billion dollars in it, and I went to you and say, listen, I want to offer an invitation that I want to give you a billion dollars. I already got an account with your name on it. Right? It's already done. But here's the conditions to receive it. Right? And if you say, well, I don't want to do that, then even though it's already there, I mean, you didn't have to do anything for me to do what I did. But you do have to do something in order to receive it. Now, it's not a works. It's faith. Let's look at this. The B side. All right? The B side. In Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. Since it's Pentecost Sunday, uh, let us turn over there real quick. And, um, you know, Peter gets up after he gets filled with the Holy Ghost, with evidence of speaking in tongues. They're all speaking in other, uh, uh, tongue, other tongues and in unknown tongues that day. And people are just like blown away. Well, Peter rises up, right, because they're kind of mocking, you know, thinking these guys are drunk. My gosh, man, they're already, you know, uh, uh, already, you know, um, completely inebriated. Well, he jumps up in the 13th and, uh, 14th verse, and Peter, taking a stand with the 11, raised his voice, declared to them, men of Judah and all who live in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give heed to my words. And then he begins to preach and says, these people are not drunk as you suppose. And then he begins to speak out of the pro- uh, uh, what the prophets have said concerning this outpouring of the Spirit. And he preaches this deal and attaches this outpouring to Jesus Christ because Christ came, because he died, because he rose, right? Because of the work that Jesus did, that Jesus performed signs and wonders, right? And, but he was delivered over because of a predetermined plan, foreknowledge by God, that godless men put him to death. In verse 24, he says, but God raised him up again. Isn't that powerful? Amen. And then began to speak again into Old Testament scripture concerning this thing uh, that had taken place that obviously that he wouldn't allow a soul to go to the grave and be abandoned or decay or rot, but God raised him up. So in essence, he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. He preaches his Christ's resurrection. All right? Now, once that's done, 
He ends up saying, you know, concerning David, he talks about some prophets a little bit, right? And then he gets down, you know, and he says, Jesus Christ raised up again to which we are witnesses. 33, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Spirit is poured out uh, forth, which you have both seen and heard. And he begins to talk about his enemies being underneath his feet. Well, about verse um, 37, it says, now when they heard this, this thing about the resurrection of Jesus. Paul, Peter, on the, again, what do we know about Pentecost? It's, the, it's Jesus' way of launching a church. It started in a prayer meeting. Right? It was full of the Holy Ghost. In fact, before anyone else came, other than those in the prayer meeting, they experienced the baptism of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in tongues. Amen. So the power of God was in demonstration in the launch of Jesus' church. And the, the message he preached was concerning a resurrection of the king himself. Because every time he talks about Jesus Christ, he's talking about the Messiah. In essence, he's talking about the kingdom of God. When they hear this, they say in verse 37, what must we do? Peter didn't give an altar call. The people wanted to get into the message. They wanted what they were seeing. And, it, and, and, that, and listen, this is so powerful. Their first thought was they're drunk. Now, these people are lost. But Peter says, they're not drunk. This is what it is. You know what he didn't do? He didn't say, y'all quit speaking in tongues because you're getting people confused. Amen. 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 No, please don't speak in tongues. We've got guests here today. <laughs> Doesn't matter if a guest thinks it's crazy because the, the, the Spirit of God's come upon you. Because when we truly walk in the experience of God, they'll, they'll come back with this thought after the preaching of the word. What must I do? Instead of being ashamed of an expression, we should be empowered by it. Because again, it was the gift of tongues and unknown tongues that caused people to want to come into God's kingdom, not run away from it. Now, sure, there were some languages. I get it. But you understand, I could have some people stand up right now and speak in Spanish. I got some that can speak in Greek. Uh, you know, I got some that can speak in Albania. I got some that can speak in Thailand right now. And they could all begin to speak in those languages. And some of you be like, I have no idea. You wouldn't know whether it was an unknown tongue. For some of you, you just wouldn't even be able to discern that. Especially if they were all speaking at the same time. Now, if you could recognize that language, Sure. Right? Yes. Amen. So you understand, there was all kinds of stuff happening. Unknown tongues and multiple different languages that were taking place that you understand, it seemed chaotic. So much so that like, they're drunk. Look, if I started, como esta usted? Muy bien? Dios te bendiga. If I talked to you like this in another language, you wouldn't think nothing about me. So there was something else going on in their bodies. There was another expression. I mean, what does a drunk look like? I mean, there had to be some staggering under the anointing. 
There was obvious, they were not. The reason why they thought they were drunk, because if you've been around a drunk, you're like, dude, you're slurring your words. When you slur your words, you don't articulate them. That's what an unknown tongue would sound like to someone who's never heard it. At minimum, they would have thought just through that speech alone. But you can get on the anointing, you begin to start moving and swaying because your body can't hold on to this fresh outpouring of God that came in like a mighty Russian winter. Y'all with me? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Hallelujah. So what does Peter say? Because they say, brethren, what, must, what should, shall we do? Peter says this. Look at this verse, verse 38. Put that up there, man. Jeez. First service of the pioneer church that Jesus is the head of the church. He said, this is how we pioneer a church. And so what's he say to him? Peter says to them, first word. Come on, say the first word. I know it sounds like a cuss word, but go ahead and say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Repent. And each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for what are you going to have to do before you're going to be able to receive the forgiveness of your sins? What's the word? Now, has he already forgiven you? But how do you get it? Repent, comma. Repent is an action in and of itself. Hallelujah. Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King, the Anointed One, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not the Holy Spirit just coming inside you and speaking to your spirit that you're a child of God, though that will happen. That is about receiving the endowment of power from on high, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. Verse 39, for the promise is for you and your children and for, 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 who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will what? Call to himself. No one goes after God. No, not one. But God draws men by. Is he still drawing men today? Well, if he's drawing men today, the way he drew them in the dispensation of what we call the church that's still alive today, if you can't get in the church without repent, And you can't have the benefits of forgiveness that's already been taken care of, but it can't be applied to your life till you repent. Now, brother, you're just going to have to forgive me. Right? Brother, you're just going to have to forgive me. Well, are you doing what requires the blessing of forgiveness to happen. <laughs> All right, let me go on. Hallelujah. Right? Let's go on. Uh, let me go ahead and just lay out a bunch of scripture. Can we do that? Okay, Acts chapter 13, 
verses 13 to 19. Let everything be confirmed by two or three witnesses. It says, in, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I like starting here. The reason I start here is because, again, repent is not an issue just with the law of Moses. This is prior to the law of Moses. This is based upon a promise. <laughs> the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has, has glorified his servant Jesus. The one whom you delivered and dis, uh, disowned in the presence of Pilate, and he decided, when he decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. In essence, Pilate's like, I have no problem with Jesus, man. He ain't done nothing wrong. I'm going to release him. You were like, no, crucified. Give us Barabbas, who, whose name means the son of a, of a murderer, son of a thief. Right? It's the son of a devil. You took, you took the, they took the devil over Jesus. All right, let's go on. He says this, verse 15, but you put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which you, we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of all. You know, he healed the guy at the gate beautiful. All right. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance. Look what he says now. Just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Jesus has fulfilled now. Look what he says in verse 19. Therefore, what do they need to do? What do they need to do? Repent and return. Why? So that your sins may be wiped away. Now, here's the thing. Christ has already forgiven every one of their sins by the blood. Yet, there are sins that aren't wiped away yet because until you exercise repentance. See, we know when the great white throne judgment happens, read the book of Revelation, and the dead, the grave gives up the dead, and they are in heaven standing before the great white throne. It says they'll pull out the book of life to see if their name's in it. If their name's not in it, they shut it, move it to the side, and pull out the rest of the books. Now, these books are the sins... Those charges that are against those who did not make Jesus Lord by repenting and receiving something he already paid for. So in essence, Jesus could say, listen, all that you're going to be guilty of today, I actually had offered forgiveness. But because you didn't repent and allow my blood to show up and wash these away, they're going to be held to your account. And now I'll cast you into the lake of fire, which is the second death. You'll pay for this, which means you'll pay for it for eternity. And it's not because God didn't provide the way. But it's because they did not repent. And if you believe this any other way, then it's the doctrine of inclusion. Don't even ask people to get born again anymore. There's no reason for it. And if you have the power to say, oh, forgive them, Father, because you did, and so I'm asking you to forgive them as if God won't hold that to their account. 
All, well, you know what those scriptures mean when you say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even, even Moses stood in the gap and says, Lord, don't judge them yet. You know, be lenient. What, what both Jesus and uh, um, Stephen were doing was saying, have mercy on them. Don't cause this to come to their account today. Extending more mercy towards their lives so that they may have a day that they would what? Repent. Every one of us, should we go to the Lord Jesus in heaven, will be because we repented and received forgiveness. Now, here's the thing about repenting. When you do an A-side preaching of forgiveness only, you think you only have to repent once. Repentance is not a one-time event. Because when the word repent literally means change your thinking. In fact, it means uh, to hardly amend your ways and to abhor sin. To change one's mind. Well, don't you know we got to change our thinking on a lot of things concerning Jesus and the way to live and navigate. But because we get an A-side preaching, oh, God loves you. God cares. And he does. Now, I'm not saying these aren't wrong. I'm just saying because you don't go to the B-side, you, in, in essence, leave this idea. God died for you. God forgave you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do, period. Takes you out of the equation that all of a sudden repenting, if you ask him to come into your heart and save you, that's the only thing you got to do. And after that, Whatever you do doesn't matter now. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, repenting happens on more than one occasion. You got to repent about how you see your body, health and healing. You got to repent about how you see your mind. You got to repent about how you work in the flesh. You got to repent about how you have relationships, you know, with others, whether it's your spouse, your children, uh, whether it's your workplace. You got to repent about all kinds of stuff. You got to repent about how you respond in situations. That's what I love about talking with David Mackey. He said, now the old man would have, because that's that mindset of the old man. He said, but the new man. I've changed my thinking. I repented and said, I won't respond that way anymore. Are you with me? Hallelujah. All right, let's go on then. Matthew chapter 4. Just so you know, it wasn't Peter only who preached repent. He got it from somebody. (laughs) Well, Jesus just forgave us. Well, what did Jesus say to get it? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And Jesus... And Jesus, and from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, what do you got to do? What do you have to do? What do you have to do? You have to repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, repent here means, and in every case uh, that we've seen thus far, the word repent, we'll see as we continue on, to change one's mind for the better. I mean, as great as you think your mind is right now, it's nothing compared to what it is under the Holy Spirit. As well as you think your thinking is today, it's nothing compared to you allowing the Spirit of God to influence how you think. Because the reality is, don't be delusional. You're allowing somebody to influence the way you think. Whether it's an expert, a professional, some book you read, somebody's thoughts are influencing your decisions. So, since you're listening, 
Why don't you listen to the voice of God? Because he's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the creator of heaven and earth. His words are absolute and final and have the authority to back it. Amen. So if you're going to an expert, go to the creator. <laughs> Let him tell you how to think about it. Let him tell you how to do it, right? So change your mind for the better. But then it goes on and says this. It means to uh, hardly amend with abhorrence of one's past sins, which means when you repent, when you recognize I do things against God, and that means rebellion, and that means punishment, and that means judgment, and that means uh, cast into the lake, all of that way of behavior, living and doing, I'm going to repent. I am not doing it. So you can't say you have repented and still do the same things you did habitually and act like it's not a problem. If you are doing everything you've ever done prior to salvation, yet you came and asked Jesus to come into your heart and save you, you didn't repent. You just asked for forgiveness that you didn't actually get because God knows when you actually repent. Jesus said himself, he says, they confess me with their mouth, but their heart is far, which means they're saying they follow me, but they don't follow me. Because they didn't really repent. They didn't change their thinking. They didn't say, I'll do it your way. They don't strive to do it his way. They don't seek to do it his way. And it's not you doing it his way on your own merit. When I seek to do God's way, and I say, I'll do it that way, Lord, then his spirit empowers me to actually carry it out. It's not like I'm doing it independent of the Holy Ghost because I didn't get born again independent of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost says you are going to die and be thrown into the lake of fire. You are going to be separated from the crown, from the kingdom of God. You can't do. God is not well. Look, God is not well with the unbeliever. Although he's made a way and he's warning them. What's he warning them? Repent. You got to change your thinking. You got to change your thinking. You got to change. You're going to have to uh, recognize there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself that's going to work in any situation in life. You need to change your thinking. You need to abhor any type of behavior or action that is contrary to my word. And if you'll turn back to me and follow my word, then forgiveness will manifest and the power of my word will manifest in your life. It doesn't happen outside of repentance. Amen? Luke chapter 24, verse 45 to 47 says, And he opened their understanding that they might... This is Jesus now after he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And he opened uh, uh, their mind, uh, their understanding, and that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was um, necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the death the third day. And that what? Repentance and... Now, this is New American Standard. It says that repentance for, but in the New American Standard, it has this little footnote here that says trans, other translations say repentance and forgiveness. And so the reality is repentance is a work itself that then causes another action to take place. So repentance, why are you repenting? For 
forgiveness of sins. So what's implied? You don't repent, you don't receive forgiveness. Not that you, it isn't available. And not that God's like, I don't forgive them. He's not sitting on the throne going, I don't forgive them. I just don't forgive No, that's, he said, I have made a way. I am the way. I have already forgiven them. And yet they keep rejecting me. And they keep rejecting me. And they keep rejecting me by not repenting. They do not get access to what I've already done. And I don't want to hold it to them. But if they don't repent, their name's not going to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay. All right. It's just too quiet. Too quiet. But that's all right. It's all right. And that repentance, the remission of sins should be preached. So what should be preached? Repentance. Uh, modern, um, the modern King, uh, King James Version says it this way, that, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So again, what should we preach? We shouldn't, pre- we should not preach. You know what? Jesus loves you, that he died on the cross, that he shed his blood, and he's forgiven you. Just ask him to come into your heart. He's already forgiven you. Just say, Lord, I receive your forgiveness. You can't just receive his forgiveness. You have to repent to receive. God's not mad at you. Just come down right now. He's already forgiven you. He has already made a way of forgiveness, but in order for it to be applied to your account, you must repent. Listen, guys, the church shouldn't be wishy-washy. The church shouldn't look like the world. Now, we're all growing and developing, don't get me wrong, but we should hate sin. And a person who truly repents is like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing those things anymore. I'm not living that lifestyle anymore. I'm changing my thinking, man. I'm done with that way. I want God's forgiveness. You know what's so great about God? Is that you can just come as you are. You don't have to do nothing. Well, there's a half truth there. You do come as you are, meaning you can't clean yourself up. You can't make yourself better. But when you get here at the door, he'll say, old self ain't coming in. You're not going to walk through the cross and be the same person. What you're going to do is you're going to have to make a denouncing of self. That's repent. I denounce myself. I denounce my way of doing. I denounce my way of living. I denounce my thinking. And I denounce my behavior and lifestyle prior to your love and forgiveness. I denounce it. It's dead to me. It's dead to me. I repent. I was wrong. I don't care how many degrees I have. I was wrong. Everything I thought I knew, I don't know nothing now. All I know is that you died, you shed your, I want that blood applied to my account. I want to have that forgiveness. And when you repent and then receive, you'll walk in a whole new person, a brand new species of being. The old pass away, behold, all things become new. But it's not accessible without repentance. I mean, there's plenty of good people that do better than a lot of believers that are, are A-side preaching forgiveness. They live in life like they did before they came. Oh, yeah, but I ask God. And again, that's the error and the heresy and the, um, the seducing spirit and the false doctrine of I'm just like you, a sinner saved by grace. 
No, you were a sinner. You're saved by grace through faith. Now you are a believer, a child of God. Your spirit man's incapable of sinning because it's in the likeness of God. And if you'll yield to the spirit, then you, through your changed thinking, can live a life outside of habitual sin. Yes, could you make a mistake as a believer? Sure, but you could live life way more without making that mistake. See what Jesus is saying, repent. Quit having a sin consciousness. Well, you know, we all have heart disease in our family. It runs in the family. It doesn't run in my family. Now, brother, don't tempt God. I'm not tempting God. Christ is the bloodline that I'm in. What you're doing is you're not repenting of your thinking about God's family that you're now in. You want forgiveness so you can live life on the earth like you want to. And that's A-side preaching. But that doesn't get his forgiveness. Amen. You know what? Forgiveness is not only needed for the world. John Mayer had a song out, you know, waiting on the world to change. Waiting on the world to change, right? Right? But Cheryl Crow had one too. And I have to use change because you can't use the word repent, unfortunately. They're all connected with, you know, Christian songs. And I was trying to, you know, give you something you knew. But Cheryl Crow said, change will do you good. I said a change will do you good. And as a believer, a change will do you good. Because the minute you change your thinking in any area of God's truth, it'll do you good. And it's required in order to receive what change thinking gives. You can't expect God to give you something without you, as a believer now, moving into changing. Now, he can do things just to show himself kind, but that kindness is to lead you to repentance. The kindness of God leads man to, in essence, every time he does a benevolent act or a kind act to you, he's trying to say, change the way you think, man. Repent so that you can exercise this on your own. But most of the church is satisfied with just dying and going to heaven and not living a repented life. And then blame God why they didn't get something. Now, when I say blame God, it sounds like this. Now, Lord, if it's your will, but if it's not, that's okay. So basically, you blame God. Yes, there is a time, your will, not my will be done, a prayer of consecration. There is that time. But there's other things that, Lord, this is your will. It's going to be this way. It can't be any other way. And I believe it according to your word in faith. Amen. But yet we apply the if if it be your will to everything. And that's a a misapplication of the word. All right. Praise God. So... Acts 17.30 says this, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men that all people everywhere should get forgiveness. What's the declaration? (laughs) Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men that all people everywhere should... This is a very powerful message. Jesus starts his first message, repent. And it's the same message in this dispensation. Why are we not telling people, you need to repent? You're going to change your thinking. You want what that blessing has, but you don't want to repent to get it. Hallelujah. 
No, this is what we are declared. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. Just so we'll know, we use this scripture all the time. All the time we use this scripture when we want to see people get born again, right? We want people to get in the kingdom of God. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine says, the Lord is not slow concerning his promises as some count slowness, but is long suffering towards us. The problem is, is that he's actually not talking about the world here. He's talking about the believer. Not purposing that any should perish, but that all to come to repentance. So he's not just talking about the world. He implies there's also within the church, we need to come to repentance in areas of things we don't know concerning God. And when he reveals it by the spirit, we need to change our thinking so that we can then access what comes with repentance. Repentance is, is a doorway. You understand? Why is repentance the doorway? Because faith comes by Hearing and hearing from the word of God, faith access, faith is the currency of the kingdom, but it's the, the cash drawer is repentance, which means you have to accept that word as the truth. Now that means I don't accept my way. I accept your way. That's the cash drawer. Repentance is the cash drawer of the currency of faith. I'm going to do it God's way. Ching. Now you can pull that currency out of call faith and make an exchange of whatever it is. Repentance is what holds faith. Okay. So let me address Romans chapter 11 real quick. 1129 says this. This is one scripture, one scripture only (laughs) that people would try to use this. For the free gifts and callings of God are without repentance. See? Repentance isn't required. This is what it means according to Albert Barnes, but not just according to Albert Barnes. It's literal in Scripture. I'm just going to quote him so that you don't think I'm just telling you myself. He said, without repentance, this does not refer to man. Well, see, God don't need you to repent to him to give you what he wants to give you. That's not what that means. This does not refer to man, but to God. It does not mean that God confers his favor on man without exercising repentance, but that God does not repent or change in his purposes of bestowing his gifts on man. Whatever God destined you to be, he's not changed his mind about it. The question is, have you repented in order to walk in it? So when the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, one translation says, that means what God destined for you has not changed. And he's not changing his mind. Oh, you want to be a doctor? Oh, well, you know, I actually wanted you to be, you know, a mechanic, but that's okay. I'll bless you in it. That's why very devastating statement that Dr. Miles Moreau used to say, the greatest mistake in life is being successful in the wrong assignment. Wow. Okay, so you're going to work for that company your whole life and retire. I understand. But I called you to own it. I'm not smart. I am. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) He just needs you to trust him. So his plan for... I don't... His plan for your life, guys, at the end of the day, it is what it is. And you're not changing it by doing your own stuff. 
Like when he pulls your book out, then your name can be in the Lamb's Book of Life. You can say, all right, here's the book I had destined for you and all the things that I wanted you to do that my spirit was going to lead you in. Let's see how it compared to the book you wrote of yourself. Because your rewards are going to be based on it. Hallelujah. It's a B-side. All right. Numbers 23, why is this in context of Numbers 23, 19? God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. He has said, and has he not, uh, and shall he not do it? Has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? So God's going to do what he said he'd do. The question is, will you repent and let him do it through you? If you're not getting what God's called you to do, it's because you've not accessed it by repenting. Amen. And no one can stop you from your destiny. Only you can. Your spouse can't. Your kids can't. The coronavirus can't. The economy can't. An offense can't. A bad upbringing can't. A trial in life can't. No, only you. Acts chapter 26, verse 15 to 19, Paul, or 20, Paul said this. And when he was talking about, you know, to King Agrippa, you know, he's given the account of when he, uh, you know, was, saw the Lord and um, on the road to Damascus. Let me jump on down to verse 19. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to the, uh, both, uh, both to those of Damascus first and also of Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent yes. and turn to God. Key, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Amen. Oh, now this gives us a little insight. How do we know a person's actually repented? Because again, the person who comes and says with their mouth but their heart's far from them how we know. God knows by how we know. Well, Paul lets us know. Listen, he's telling them, when you repent, then there are going to be deeds that will prove that you are different in your thinking, behavior, and lifestyle. Now, the deeds aren't what make you closer to God. The deeds are fruits that prove you are close to God. Shop. Are you with me? You think I'm not, you think I'm kidding. Matthew chapter three, verse five, it says it this way. It's not like Paul picked this up on his own. Someone preached this before Jesus preached repent. It says, then Jerusalem, and at Matthew chapter three, verse five, it says, then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan as they what? Confess their Sins. We love preaching at A-side. Confess your sins, right? Confess your sins. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, why are they coming? We are declaring we are confessing our sins. He said to them. Now look what he says to them. They show up to a baptism service, and this is what he says. You brought a vipers. That's not, man, that's, you don't preach that on the A-side. Right? You brought a vipers. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? What's he doing? He's calling them out. He's saying, you're going to come in here, and I'm going to baptize you in this water, and you're going to put on this pretense that you right like you wanted them. Oh, man. Okay. He goes on and says, therefore, what's he say then? He says, verse 8, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Come on, verse 8. 
bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So if you're going to access forgiveness, then you better bear some fruit that lets me know that you ain't doing that. You ain't in pornography anymore. You ain't sleeping around anymore. You ain't getting drunk anymore. You ain't running off and cussing anymore. You ain't womanizing anymore. And let me tell you, when somebody's been in sin and living a lifestyle for quite some time, you got to step back and say, man, they're going to have to, I got to see a season that they're going to bear some fruit. Now, brother, you just need to forgive your brother. I forgive them, but I'm waiting for their season of proven repentance to show up. Pastor, now you just need to bring them back in. I need a season. He says this. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do you suppose that you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father? For I say to you that these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. He said the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, cut the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. Don't be coming up in here and telling me I owe you forgiveness and I owe you an opportunity to come back in and fellowship. No, you're going to sit outside and you're going to let me watch your tree bear good fruit. And if you make a demand that everybody ain't doing right, you already bearing bad fruit, which means you ain't repented in the first place and prove to me that you got a mouth saying, I'm sorry for what I did, but the church won't forgive me. Yep. Now, here's the thing. I've forgiven all of them already. (laughs) But I'm not going to allow, or can I allow, the blessing of forgiveness to manifest in a person's life, what you do with people who really walk in repentance, to happen if they have not truly repented. Oh, that's the B side. We'll talk about it probably next week. Come back. I dare you. You got to be bold to come back next week. Be bold. Because the A side, don't judge me. But the B side says, so you got some brothers doing some things wrong. Let me tell you how to deal with them. Okay. Hallelujah. And that's love when it deals. All right. Let's go on. Amen. Y'all with me? Just so you'll know, we're in conclusion now. Because we'll be in the last book. Well, there's one I need to pop to. But most of them come from the last book of the Bible, Revelations. Why do we go to Revelation? Because it's very interesting. Uh, since Jesus has forgiven everybody, why does he talk this word repent? Even after he's died and raised from the dead. And now seated at the right hand of the Father. Calls John, the apostle, to come up and talk to him about the end time churches. Churches that actually existed. These existed at the time that he called John up. But yet they still apply even to this day. The seven churches. And there are churches that are operating like the seven churches. You can go to those churches today. They just have different names. There are seven of them. Five of them. He uses this word. Five of them. Jesus does. In Revelation chapter 2 verse 5, it says this. This is the church at Ephesus. The, fa- the Lord says this. Jesus did. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. And. And what? Now, he's talking to a church. So, obviously, repentance is not just a salvation issue. Not in the sense of being born again. 
Because you understand, as Pastor Marcy said Sunday, and it applies here, salvation is me, literally means just being saved, and you need to get saved out of a lot of stuff. There's a situation in your life that you need to be saved. That means salvation will begin to manifest, not just going to heaven salvation, okay? Therefore, remember where you have fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you... What did he say? Unless you repent, I'm going to remove the lampstand. Unless you repent, I'm going to... Who's going to remove it? He is. Now, Jesus, you got to forgive me. I... I have already forgiven you, but you're doing an action, church, that's moved me to where I'll take your lampstand. Now, don't take my word for it. I'm going to give you Albert Barnes again. He said this, what is affirmed here at Ephesus has often been illustrated in the history of the world that when a church has declined in piety and love and has, uh, and has been called by faithful ministers to uh, repent and has not done it, it has been abandoned more and more until the last appearance of truth and piety has departed and it has been given up to error and to ruin. And the same principle is applicable to individuals. For they have as much reason to dread the frowns of the Savior as churches have. If they who have left their first love will not repent at the call of the Savior, they have every reason to apprehend some fearful judgment, some awful a uh, visitation of his providence that shall overwhelm them in sorrow as a proof of his displeasure. Even though they should finally be saved, their days may be without comfort and perhaps their last moments without a ray of conscious hope. The accompanying engraving represents, representing the present situation of Ephesus will bring before the eye a striking illustration of the fulfillment of this prophecy that the candlestick of Ephesus would be removed from its place, and it was, and it doesn't exist there today. There's no indication the church ever repented. It doesn't exist today. There's no light in Ephesus. And who removed it? The Lord did. Why? Because they wouldn't repent. And now we're in this disposition. Lord, you got to forgive us. God is not sanctioning everything going on in this church. In fact, he'll go through his church and look at it and say, hey, now there's two churches, Philadelphia and another one. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was some, uh, Smyrna. Um, he didn't tell those two churches to repent. But the rest he did. He did. He did. Why? Look at Luke chapter 17. Let me just throw this in real quick and then we'll go to the rest. He said, be on your guard. Because again, people use Matthew. Again, seven times 70, right? Use Matthew. Well, you know what? Luke wrote about what Matthew wrote about. And you know what? If you actually study the four gospels, they don't always pin the exact same thing. And they're not in contradiction. They just heard different things, pinned different things. So when Luke heard it, he heard it and added this, which means Matthew didn't include this, but it doesn't mean it wasn't part of the conversation. He said, but be on, your, be on your guard. Jesus is talking. If your brother sins. If who? Forgive him. <laughs> Look at the scripture as I read it. Because this is what Asi preaching will do. Be on guard. Now, if your brother sins, forgive him. Come on now. If your brother sins, what do you do? Oh, you rebuke him. Oh, but you're not walking in love with me. Oh, yes, I am. Yes, I am. 
because I know B-side. So if your brother sins, what do you do? Listen, don't, don't act like you got a love better than God. And that the church has evolved all of a sudden to a higher place of love than even Jesus, the head of the church, has. If your brother sins, the first thing... Now listen, I just want you to know that I forgive you, okay, before we have this conversation. No, he says this. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, what do you do? Rebuke him. And if, conditional statement. If he repents, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? When do you forgive him? Now listen, on a personal level, I've already forgiven you, which means I'm not offended by you. I'm not upset at you. I'm not like, oh, I just can't. But what I am is obligated that if you're not going to change from doing the sin you're doing, then I can't give you what forgiveness affords. And as a believer, you don't have to give someone what forgiveness affords if they hadn't done this. And anyone who says it different, they are listening to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. If he sins against you, how many times? Seven times. How often? A day. And returns to you seven times saying, what's he going to say? What's he say? What's he say? He doesn't come and say, oh, brother, forgive me. I blew it. He should be saying, I got to change my thinking. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to quit living like this. It's against God. But if he comes to you seven times saying, I repent, then what do you do? Why? So God will forgive too and apply forgiveness and the benefits of forgiveness if you repent. In Revelation 2.16, at this church, he said, therefore repent or else I'm coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Now God's not mad at you. I mean, he can't be kind of upset and bring war to the church. Selah. Pause and think on these things. Now again, the only reason this happens is because you don't live a repented life. Right? He'll bring the sword of his mouth, meaning he's going to bring that word and it's going to basically just, he's going to, it's going to tear you up. It's going to, it's going to shred you because that word, it keep coming. Because when the word comes to you, two things are happening. You're either softening yourself to repent or you're hardening your heart against God. And eventually, if you harden your heart against God, that's a tough place to be. Because listen, I'm not even preaching Hebrews chapter 6. That a believer can get to a place that they can't even get back to repentance. Because they openly trample the blood of Jesus. But A-side preaching won't take you to Hebrews chapter 6. Okay. Revelations 2, 21 and 22. This church, he said, I gave her time to repent. Gave her time. 
Do you understand just because you keep sitting up in here doing your sinful behavior doesn't mean God's well with it. He'll give you time to repent. He's going to give you some time. And she does not want to repent of her immorality. Now look what he does. Behold, I will throw her on the bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they what? And that says, I'll just step back and they'll get the penalty of their rebellion. That's not like God puts sickness on them. He'll give them what an unrepented life gets. And it's not because he don't have forgiveness. But they couldn't access it because they didn't repent. Revelation 3, 3. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will, and you do not know at what hour I will come to you. And the last one, which is the one that, you know, he's going to spew out of his mouth. Yeah. Revelation 3, 19, he says, to those whom I love. <laughs> yes. Now, what will love do? I will reprove and discipline. Yes. I will reprove and discipline. Pastor, now you're not walking in love with me. Really? Really? You're going to be in your habitual sin for years. And we walk in you trying to walk you through, and you choose not to do it, and you want me to just act like you've not done nothing at your own word and your own actions and your own fruit, and that I'm just supposed to forgive you anyway? No. No. No, I'm obligated to do what I do to a brother, a so-called brother, who does not live. And we'll talk about the B-side next week on that one. I'll do what the Bible, the head of the church, says to do to a so-called brother who wants to be habitually in sin, practicing it. And I'll love you out the door. Yeah, I'll love you all the way out. But if you repent, I'll love you right back in it. And I won't hold it to your account. And I'll act like it never happened because you actually repented and began to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Man, you always know when a person repents because a person repents doesn't try to make demands. Well, now you got to do this and you got that person ain't right. That's a clear sign. You ain't right with God yet. You, and especially when they start throwing scripture. Now you got to do this because. All, you've been in sin all this time. We're trying to restore you to reconciliation. Now you're going to give me a laundry list of what I got to do. The prodigal son didn't say, now listen, I'm coming home. And when I get there, what I make a demand on. Okay. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. It's unfortunate in today's society or in the church, we've lost the message of repentance. And because of that, that's why the church looks so much like the world and can't handle the conflicts that we're in today. They only think like the world. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. 
If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchor faith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com. 